God cares for us each and every day. That the body has been created to be able to just do so many things. Not only, I, I think about driving. You know, sometimes I'll be driving and, and it just amazes me that my brain is picking up on just the slightest of movements. Have you ever watched somebody drive and it's like this all the time? It's like, just hold still. Well, you can't because if you just hold still, you'll notice the car starts drifting off a little bit. But your brain is picking up on that before you even realize it. And just it's like, wow, to think that, that we could come about by chance, that we could you know, do the things we do by an accident, you, you've got to be nuts to think that this is an accident of evolution. But those are the obvious things. Today, I want to look at some of the less obvious. The very fact that you're here today is pretty impressive. Now, before we get started, there are a few things the body doesn't do well. One is processed bubble gum. Okay, so don't swallow bubble gum. Um, that's what I've, at least that's what I got out of this. Um, the, the other thing is, we look at Psalm 139 and it says this, For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. Uh, when we do the museum, some of you have gone through that museum, we like to look at our skin under the microscope. Look at cuts and bruises and things like that, and we can see that when a scab happens, that that scab is actually God's band-aid. It keeps dirt and things like that from getting into your body. He has created so many things like that to protect us after we're out of the womb. But when it says that we have been knit together in our mother's womb, that is more literal than a lot of people understand. You see, our skin is made up of collagen fibers. And did you know those collagen fibers are less elastic than steel? Steel stretches more than your skin, yet I can stretch my skin. Why? Because we are literally knit together. The way those collagen fibers have been woven together allows your skin, which doesn't stretch, to stretch. So, that verse is more literal than we realize. God has knit us together in our mother's womb. Now, how did you get here? We're going to get a little bit, uh, I guess, strange today. We're going to talk about oviducts and ovaries and sperm in chapel. <laughs> okay, I bet you didn't ever think you'd be there in chapel before, but yet here I am. So, you see... The very fact that you can be here is an amazing miracle of God. You see, what happens here is every 28 days in a woman, she releases an egg by that ovary. Now, what's crazy about it is one month, the left side is going to release an egg. The next month, the other side releases an egg. And it just alternates back and forth every month doing that. Unless there's some damage or a problem to an ovary, then the other one just seems to know the other one's sleeping, and it'll do one every month. So it kind of makes up for the problem. Well, you can see these uh, on the oviducts here. There's this little, like, catcher's mitt, you might call it. When that egg is going to be released, that catcher's mitt comes down over it to, re to, to receive the egg. Okay. Now, it's very soft, and, and it cushions it. It's, it's got all these kind of protective things I'm not going to get into. But the point is, is that at just the right time, it's not there to catch it until it's ready to release. Then it comes down and receives it when it is time. Now, 
When a baby is born, do you know that if it's a female, she already has about 400,000 eggs inside her? That is amazing. Which, by the way, that means if we're killing a female baby, when we abort a baby, you're not just killing that baby, you're killing a possible 400,000 other descendants every time an abortion is performed. But... We're not going to talk about that right now. The point is, is that every month there's about 30 to 40 uh, of these eggs that are released. And they have these cells that build up around the egg, which we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Now, if it's not fertilized, that egg is not fertilized, it leaves a scar tissue. Now, I've got scars. Sometimes uh, one of my favorite things for our kids to do is we'll sit around the table and we, we look at our scars, and it's a memory. I've got a scar here that is from uh, kindergarten. It happened when I was in kindergarten. And I still remember it to this day. I was out on a swing, and a two-by-four that had a nail in it fell down, and it hit me in the... And I remember that. This scar from kindergarten has not gone away. Can you imagine having 400,000 scars build up inside you? Scar tissue is not a good thing, but somehow God has created us so that that scar tissue is dissolved by the body. Now, do you know that scientists and doctors have tried to come up with ways to get rid of scars? I mean, you could be a billionaire if you could come up with something that would dissolve a scar. But we can't do it, but the body does it. The body does it inside there so that you don't die of all this scar tissue building up because of just the way God has built us. Now, the egg is fertilized inside that oviduct. And so, as that egg is caught by the catcher's mitt, it begins to move down the oviduct, okay? Now, it's going to be implanted in the uterus later, but here's the crazy thing. Did you know, you probably saw movies uh, where you see all this sperm all the time grow, you know, swimming to go get to the egg, right? Did you know it doesn't work that way? Okay, sperm don't swim. Okay, we, we talk about that all the time, but actually what happens is the sperm is there, but the egg is moving down while they, the sperm is going basically like a fish upstream. It goes in the opposite direction. So how does it basically get uh, to the, uh, against all those muscles? Well, inside those oviducts, there are all of these things called cilia, little hair-like things that perform the wave. Have you ever seen at rock concerts, these people will jump off into a crowd like an idiot and then they get carried off all the way to the back, right? Okay, that's how the sperm get to the egg. They're not swimming, they're being carried on the wave. The wave of cilia that allows it to go and, and meet the egg. Now again, let me ask you, imagine through the process of evolution that a male evolved over in Africa. How crazy is it? First of all, the statistical possibility of a human being evolving is absolutely ridiculous. I'm not going to get into the numbers today to save some time, but let's say it happened. You got a male evolving over there in Africa somewhere. We'll say me. I evolved over in Africa. Now what? 
Now it's, evolution's at a dead end because now you have to have a female that has to evolve in the same place in Africa within about a 30-year period in order for this process of evolution to continue, right? And that female had to evolve in a lot of different ways <laughs> than what I did with different parts that are functioning the way they're supposed to function. And to really make the odds go up that there's no way evolution could happen, this woman would have to be interested. <laughs> Look at me. It ain't happening. Okay? No way! But the point is, is even if a man and a woman did evolve, all of these processes have to be there. What if the cilia weren't there to receive the sperm? What if the sperm wasn't there? What if the egg wasn't there? What if the catcher's mitt wasn't there to catch the egg? No, every one of these, and I'm just going over the highlights, every one of these processes would have to be just right in order for it to happen. And it gets worse. Because then, when the sperm, it produces an enzyme, a specific enzyme, so that it, when it meets the egg, this egg has a, a, a kind of an outside shell, you might call it. And that, that enzyme dissolves that shell so that the sperm can get through the wall, through the shell. If it didn't have that enzyme, it wouldn't be able to get through the wall. Then there's a second wall. And it takes a completely different enzyme in order to get through that wall. What if that enzyme wasn't there? A specific one. And then, in a third step, the egg actually checks to make sure that this sperm is the proper species. If it's not the, the proper species, it, it has this little explosion that takes place that hardens that egg so that the sperm can't get through. Okay, again, this is why when the Bible says things reproduce after their kind, there's a reason that humans never can have puppies. It doesn't work. God has created it to work and function the way it's supposed to be. Well, here we see that the oviduct and the catcher's mitt here. This is in the first week of human development. The egg is fertilized within the first 24 hours of being inside that oviduct. Then, at 30 hours, it becomes a two-celled child. That's right, a two-celled child. When do you become a human being? Well, Psalm 51.5 says this, Surely I was sinful at birth. Sinful from the time my mother conceived me. From the moment of conception, when the sperm meets the egg, you are a child. That's what the Bible says. It's pretty clear. Well, it now secretes a sticky substance that allows it to move kind of through the uterus. Otherwise, it's just going to sit and spin. You know, I don't know if you've ever been in a ball in water. It doesn't work very well. Okay. Now, you can see as you go through here, now this little thing here is called a blastocyst, a little grayish area. That is a mass of cells. Okay. We have a two-celled child, and then it becomes a mass of cells called this blastocyst. This is an actual microscopic picture of a blastocyst. That is what you looked like when you were just a few days old. 
This now, again, the world says, oh, that's just a mass of cells. The Bible says, no, that's a child. Okay, I mean, guys, this is what you look like at that stage of life. You see, a human being doesn't have to look like you right now because you're going to look a lot different right now than what you do right now when you're 100 years old if you live to be that old. You probably wouldn't even recognize him. When he was a baby, I'll bet you wouldn't recognize him. When he was just a few days old, I'll bet you wouldn't recognize him. You see, we have different appearances at multi-stages of life. But that, according to the Bible, is a child. And not only that with this blastocyst, you, there's something called the cytotrophoblast, which basically becomes the placenta in which the, the house for the baby and another very important thing takes place here. You see, I don't know if you realize it or not, but you may have a blood type that is actually poisonous to your mother. How in the world did you not kill your mother if you have a completely different blood type than your mother? Well, God created this placenta to be separate from the mother so that your blood doesn't mix with her blood. And her blood doesn't mix with your blood to kill you. You see, that placenta is like a big old power plant that God has created. And it is attached to what we all, you know, the umbilical cord, which is why we have a belly button, right? That's where your umbilical cord was attached to the placenta of your mother to receive nutrients. Okay, so there's always been this argument, did Adam have a belly button? Have you ever thought about that? Did Adam really have a belly button? He wasn't born of a mother. So there would have been no, so did God just hey, put one on him? Or did people come from, you know, all around the world after, you know, the fall and, hey, dear, Grandpa, show us your belly. You know. <laughs> okay, you know, <laughs> let me tell you why. Okay, I don't know. It doesn't really matter, but the bottom line is, is that's why we have a belly button because God protected us. Every time you see that ugly little thing, you ought to be reminded, man, God protected me when I was even in my mother's womb. You see, an egg, it has like a yolk inside. It's not connected to any power plant. That yolk is the power plant, but you, were, you didn't come out of that like a chicken egg is what I mean there. But anyway, like I said, it separates you from your mother to, to protect you. Now, unfortunately, there are some things that will go through this cytotrophoblast, this cell wall to protect you, and into the placenta. Things like drugs and alcohol, which is why pregnant women aren't supposed to be drinking and, and doing drugs, because that will go through and get into the baby. Whereas other things like the blood cannot pass through that wall. Well, anyway, um, there's 20 different arteries that form within this placenta. Each, they're pumping about a half gallon of blood every minute. That is a lot of blood. Well, it eventually forms this seamless home, as I said, between the mother and the baby to protect you. And here's kind of what it looks like as that baby is on the inside at the very early stage. Well, there are also all of these little 
branches around it. Trillions of them that are taking nutrients from the mother's blood, taking the good things from the mother's blood and getting it through there to feed the baby as well. The point is, again, you can't remove any one of these enzymes, any one of these steps without an absolute, complete failure. You wouldn't be here. So is this just, you know, good timing? Or is this God's timing that all of these things have come together? I mean, to really think that all of this has to be right in place for a baby to be born is crazy because if any one of these plus hundreds of other things that I haven't even talked about weren't just right, you would not be here today. Like I said, Psalm 139, it says, My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. That womb. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. Notice, it's still a person, isn't it? My eyes saw, your eyes saw me, God, even though it was an unformed body, even though it might have been a blastocyst stage, even though I might have been just a two-celled looking guy, you saw me. God's eyes are upon every single birth, every single abortion, every single human being on earth. God knew you. That amazes me. You know, Ecclesiastes 11.5 says, as you do not know the path of the wind or how the body is formed in the mother's womb, Oh yeah, I mean, we've learned a lot, but it's still a mystery to us. We can't make it happen. We can't do this. We cannot create life in a laboratory. We can't get these things to happen, but oh, it's an accident. No, this is an amazing design of a loving creator, a Savior, who has been saving us even from the moment of conception. He's been concerned about your life and preserving it. So you cannot understand the work of God, the maker of all things. You know, I've said it here before. There's a lot we don't understand about God. We just trust Him. I don't understand His love for me. I, I don't have that kind of love for you. Okay, but He loves us enough to send His own Son to die. i got to tell you, if one of you guys was you know, in a car accident or you know, hanging off of a bridge and I could you know, kill my son to save you, I don't know if I'd do it. I don't understand how God can do the things He does. You know, people are always saying, if there is a God, why do we have children's hospitals? If there was a God, He wouldn't let this little child suffer like that. Guys, I don't know why God does everything He does. I know it's not God's fault. I know it's the, the result of sin. Why there are children that suffer. Why any of us suffer. That I do know, but I don't know why God does everything He does. And what I've said before is, if I did, if I knew why God did everything He did and how He did everything He did, that would make me God and that would make God really dumb. God isn't somebody that you are ever going to understand in this fleshly body. You can't, you cannot understand the work of God. You just need to believe it. I mean, He has made things that we cannot make. And we're saying, well, that's so amazing, that's incredible, it's an accident. No, 
Incredible things don't come about by just chance processes and accidents. But guys, if God is so concerned about knitting you together in your mother's womb, how much more is he concerned about the body of Christ together? You know, it's been said that giving birth is the greatest wound anybody would ever have and yet survive. Remember I said there were 20 arteries? Not veins, arteries, the ones that are pumping massive blood. Half a gallon a minute, each one. When you give birth, do you know that every one of those 20 arteries are ripped open? I mean, you cut one of your arteries, you're in a life and death situation. 20 arteries when you give birth are now ripped open and you've got a half, you know, a gallon of blood squirting out, right? How come you don't die? Because by just some happy accident again or some, you know, good timing, the moment those things break, there is another enzyme and chemical that causes them to constrict and close off immediately so that you don't continue to bleed out and die. What amazing accidents, huh? Just the right time. No, that's God's timing. And then, another happy accident. A woman has a different pelvis than a man does. She's got these three areas here that have this uh, ligament that when you give birth, there's another enzyme, completely different from all the others that I've talked about so far, that will kind of dissolve that so that it allows your hip to open up. That's a good thing for both the woman and the baby. But what an amazing timing and accident. Then while the baby is in the womb, guys, that placenta is it's the, the super organ for that baby. It's the kidney. It's the lungs, it's everything. While that baby is in there, remember, it's in this amniotic fluid. It's not breathing air, is it? I mean, it's in liquid. And the blood that is in the baby is actually bypassing the lungs, not even going to the lungs of the baby. And then as soon as that baby is born, that bypass closes and it now pumps blood to the lungs like that. And this is why we spanked you when you came out of your mother's womb, you know. When you were born, okay, they spanked you. Not because you were ugly, but because it's like you want that baby to take its first breath of air. <gasps> and then it begins to cry. And it's like, yes, it's breathing. The umbilical cord also has nice little functions that keep it from kinking. I'll tell you what, I, I wish they could make a garden hose. You know, you buy all these kink-free kink garden hoses that kink all the time anyway. But God has made the umbilical cord so that it doesn't kink. I mean, it, these babies are moving around all the time. Let me out of here! And yet it doesn't kink. Now, every now and then, it can wrap around the neck and some bad things can happen that way, but that's very rare out of the billions of babies that have been born. Such a small handful. And that's because of the way God created the umbilical cord. You see, each and every one of you came about by this process. 
Every one of you that's here today. That tells us you're not here by an accident. You're here by design. By design, you are here. And God didn't, you know, have us born to be left alone. He, he created parents to care for us. He created people to care for us. Because His eye was on you in the womb, His eye is on you when you're born, and now His eye is on you now. He has created a body of Christ for us to lift up and to hold one another up and, and, and to encourage each other. Matthew 10 says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You know, it's easy for us guys to, to think that we're not worth much. You know, I'm not a basketball star. I don't seem to have any talent at all. Blah, 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 whatever the case might be. But God says, you know what? I'm concerned about a sparrow. And if God is concerned about a sparrow, and not one of those falls to the ground without Him knowing, then He must really be concerned about you. And that's His point in the context of this too. There is no person, no ministry, no church body that is too small or too insignificant for God's love to extend to. You know, David said this when he considered the heavens. He said, when I consider the heavens, this vast universe, and he didn't even realize how big it is compared to what we realize today. And he says, when I consider this, who am I? that you should care about me. Here we are, I mean, if you would go out to the moon and look back on the earth, you're, you, you're this microscopic little speck. And yet God is concerned about you. As a matter of fact, He made the universe, the sun, the moon, the stars, all of it was for you. This tiny little speck. That He sent His Son out of heaven to earth to die on the cross to take away our sins when we didn't even want Him. When we continually reject and say, you know what, I don't believe in you, God. God says, but I believe in you. When, when we're out there and we say, no, I don't think that God made this. This is an accident. And we mock Him and we take His name in vain and we do all of these things. God still says, but I love you. And I am patient with you. And I desire that none should perish. If only you will repent of your sins and call on me, I will save you. I've been watching over you ever since that sperm met the egg. My eyes were on you. I loved you more than you can even imagine. And I watched you form in that womb. I watched you grow up and... And I've watched you reject me. I've watched you turn away. I've watched you, you know, do all these shameful things. But through it all, I love you. Through it all, I have a purpose for you. 1 Corinthians 2, or 12 says, As it is, there are many parts but one body. You know, the eye can't say to the hand, I don't need you. The head can't say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
because we are the body of Christ, and I'm thankful we're all different. You know, some of us, like me, we're just weird. That's just the way it is. But you know what? I'm an indispensable part of the body. Just as the eye or the hand and the, and the head, we can't, you know, if, if I don't have a head, my hands are pretty much useless. If I don't have hands, my head is limited, isn't it? And so, every one of us, you may say, well, I'm not a sports star, or I don't think I have any talents. Yes, you do. God has gifted every one of you with some kind of gift, and He wants to use it to encourage the body of Christ and to serve Jesus Christ, to serve the kingdom of God. Romans says this, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. So many, many of you might be sports stars. Don't think of yourself too highly as you ought. Okay? Because without others, you'd be nothing. Without the rest of the body of Christ, you'd be nothing. Rather, think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith God has given you. Just as each of us has one body with many members and each member does not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given us. You see, if our head is giant and distorted, something's wrong. We know it. There, there's, there's a problem. If your hand is shriveled, there's something wrong. We all are, are, are together in this. Colossians 1 says, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, where the thrones or dominions, rulers, authorities, all things were created through Him, for Him. He is before all things, and in Him, Jesus, all things hold together. It is Christ that holds this body of Christ together. It is Christ that holds your body together. It is Christ that holds everything, even this universe, together. If it were His intention, it says here in Job, and He withdrew His spirit and breath, all mankind would perish together and man would return to dust. I love this because when I say that it's Him who holds all things together, I believe that's literal. You know, we know that inside protons, electrons, and neutrons, you know, inside an atom, all of those things are there, but there's movement, isn't there? Movement is energy. Where is this energy coming from inside of an atom? Well, I think that's God. I think God is the energizing force of this universe. We even see that in Genesis in the beginning when it says the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That word hover is like a back and forth energizing movement over the waters. The Spirit of God energizes the universe. Imagine for a moment that if God would withdraw His Spirit from the earth, if He would withdraw the Spirit, His energizing force out of an atom, what would happen? You know, because right now, this piece of plastic, this is made up of atoms. Inside those atoms, there's energy. There is energy inside this plastic nothing. Well, I've said this before, but I, you know, I, in my mind I think, well, if all the energy in the atoms would stop, it would go to dust, like Job is saying. But it can't, because you know what dust is? Atoms. I think it'll be kind of what Peter says, when the Lord comes back, everything's going to go away with a great noise. You see, the Big Bang hasn't happened, it's coming. 
when the Lord removes His Spirit because He is the one who holds all things together in not just a literal way, but a spiritual way as well. We read here in Romans 15, May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus, so that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Guys, unity. There's only one way to be united. You know what it is? For you to die and let Christ live. For you to die to your own hopes, desires, and dreams, and thoughts, and let God be your hope. Let God be your glory. Let God be your dream. Let God's Word be your thoughts. One reason the church is not united today is because we get to decide what we think the Bible says. Well, I think abortion is okay. Well, I think it's wrong. Well, I think God created. Well, I think we evolved. You see, I don't really care what you think. What I care about is what God says. The only way for us to be united is let God's Word be our guide to life. And say, you know what? Well, I would like this to be true, but the fact is the Bible says it's not, so i got to go with this, with what the Word says, because I'm not smart enough. I'm not God. Ephesians says it was He who gave some to be apostles, some prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure in the fullness of Christ. Well, guys, I'm out of time here, and so I just want to close with this. We are the body of Christ. We need to work together, and you're not here as an accident, but you're here for a purpose. God created this world for you and you for the purpose, and that purpose is to give God glory. That's what we're here for. And I want you to think about these few questions here as as I let you leave. Number one, how is your life bringing glory to God? What are you doing? Not just right now, like this week, but your future plans. How are those plans bringing glory to God? And number two, how have you believed the lie of Satan that somehow you, as a part of the body of Christ, have been useless, not good? How have you believed that lie And what scripture that we've talked about today would expose that lie and let you know, no, I mean something to God. I mean something to Him because Jesus came and died for me. And maybe a third question for some of you. Maybe some of you don't believe this Jesus. You don't believe this Bible. Ask yourself, why? How, how could you be here if there wasn't a God? How did you really get here? How could all these chemicals and enzymes come about by an accident? Not just one, but several enzymes come together at just the right time, at just the right place to make just the right thing happen. Well, 
Ephesians 4 says, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope when you were called. Okay. Well, with that, I am going to skip a couple here and maybe get to this. Ephesians 1, in Him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of Him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. Not our own, but His will. He chose us when? Before the creation of the world. Even you were in God's mind even before He said, let there be light. He had you in mind. You must be special. It says to be holy and blameless. He has a purpose for you. You can reject that purpose. You can walk away from it. But God says, I chose you to be holy. I chose you to be blameless. I chose you to be my child. Now I'll leave it up to you. You choose. Will you accept it? Or will you reject it? That's your choice. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, thank you for this time. Thank you for your word and thank you for loving us enough to take care of us even before the creation of the world. Thank you for your son Jesus, the forgiveness that he and only he can bring and thank you that we can never be good enough to earn it. Thank you that it depends on you and you alone. In Jesus' name, amen.